Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Is everyone really equal? That's the title of a textbook required in many colleges today, especially in education schools. The subtitle of Is Everyone Really Equal is an introduction to key concepts in social justice education. And one of the claims is that everything, everything in our society is racist. The authors attack one of my own long-held principles informed from the scriptural account of creation that all human beings have a common ancestor and have equal worth and dignity. The problem embedded in society, they say, is whiteness. To claim to be just human is one of the most powerful and pervasive manifestations of whiteness. If you say we're all human, that's bad, according to the authors. Such teachings are why relations among ethnicities are worse, not better, than they were three or four decades ago. That's a political problem. But such is not our concern this morning. At the core, it's a theological problem. What is it to be human? The color of a person's skin is a variable attribute among human beings. In other words, your humanity isn't dependent on the color of your skin. A person's humanity isn't determined by the shape of his nose whether the hair has thick, tight curls or is straight. These things are as inconsequential to our humanity as the color of our eyes, or whether you play hockey left-handed or right. What is it to be a human? To be a human is to be made by God, descended from Adam. Jesus is a Jew, but the genealogy in Luke's Gospel, written for a Gentile audience, takes the line of Jesus back beyond Abraham, calling Jesus the son of Shem, the son of Noah, and then later the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. Now stay with me. The next thought is connected to this. Liturgical ceremonies are worthless, even evil, if we do them because we like frills or pomp. No, all ceremonies have one purpose, to teach us what we need to know about Jesus. And there is a deep lesson embedded in the kneeling that we do here at the altar during the creed. We kneel during these words about the second person of the Trinity and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. The early Christians confessed the creed in Greek. And for incarnate, it says, kai sarkothenta. Sark, sarks, it means flesh, body. You may have heard of a sarcophagus. You put the body into a sarcophagus. So, into flesh is what the creed confesses. Not Jewish flesh. Roman flesh or Greek flesh, just human flesh. And then, kai and anthropesanta, 
You hear anthropos in there? We get anthropology from that. It's a general word for human beings. Now, there's a specific word for male and a specific word for female, but that's not what's used here. It's just anthropos, human being. He became anthropos. And this is the great mystery of the Christian faith. This is why we kneel. It's the great mystery at the heart of the world's creation. The creator enters the creation. He remains God, yet becomes one of us. And we can go even further. By giving us his body, his flesh, in the Holy Communion, he becomes one with us. And that's true no matter what your background is, no matter what language you speak or what color your skin is. Now, 80 years ago, during the great persecution of the Hebrew people, it became necessary to emphasize that Jesus was born of a Jewish mother. Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke about the necessity of Christians defending Jews. He wrote, only he who cries out for the Jews may sing Gregorian chants. In other words, you have to live out in your life how you worship in church. Those two things are intimately connected. In our age, we must confess that Jesus is a human being, and therefore all human beings have dignity and worth. So what does any of this have to do with today's gospel? Very glad you asked. In the first part, Jesus tells us what the great commandments are. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. You demonstrate in your life that you don't actually love God because you don't love your neighbor, not the way you should, not the way you love yourself. You might love your wife, you probably love your kids, but you're starting to get pretty annoyed with the guy in your neighborhood who has the political sign from the other team. Love your neighbor, you're angry at him. Now, I know this will be a shock, but I've even heard stories about people who attend the same church not quite getting along. Love your neighbor, sure, as long as she agrees with me, supports me, repent. You don't love your neighbor, which demonstrates you don't really love God either. God judges you and me as commandment breakers. No virtue signaling can atone for our lack of virtue. The guy who literally wrote the Book of Virtues turned out to have a gambling problem. Far from being a gotcha moment, it should show us that none of us measure up. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The great commandments are great, but we're not so great at keeping them. We can't do them even though we should keep trying. So after Jesus recites the Great Commandments, he seems to ask an obscure question that only Bible nerds would really be interested in. Thinking that would be a mistake. It's an essential question. The Christ, Jesus says, whose son is he? The son of David, they say. The Messiah will be a descendant of David. David, one of his sons, or great-great-great-great-great-great-grandsons, will be in the line of the Jewish kings and will be the anointed one, the Messiah. So Jesus says, how can David prophesy that his descendant will be his Lord? It doesn't work that way. The king is above the prince. 
And then Jesus quotes Psalm 110. It's a prophecy of David about his future descendant, the Christ. The Lord, that's God, said to my Lord, that's David's descendant, the Christ, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David's descendant, a human being, is going to be at the same time God, God in the flesh. And why is that important? Because man can't measure up, we can't keep the commandments, we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. we don't really love God, we're going to die, we stand under God's judgment. Because we can't measure up, God becomes human and does what we can't. And he does it in our flesh, as one of us. At the crucifixion, Pilate unwittingly says it all. Behold, the man, ecce homo. That's the one. In him is the unity of the human race. He is Adam. He is Israel. He is man. He keeps the law. He loves God the Father with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, with all his mind. And he loves his neighbor as himself, even the ones who are putting him to death. Since he loves his neighbor as himself, that means he also loves you. No matter what color you are, what place you're from, no matter what language you speak, is everyone really equal? We're all equally sinners. And us, us Christians, us disciples of Jesus, we're all equally redeemed. There is no distinction. So behold, he is making all things new. He was made man for us men and for our salvation, for us humans and our redemption, for us sinners and our forgiveness, for us mortals and our resurrection. Is everyone equal? Yes, equally sinners, equally redeemed in Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.